welcome to the Slices podcast, bringing you pieces of the world through lived experiences. Welcome to the Slices podcast. I'm your host, Grace or Gracia. Um, Today, I'm going to be speaking to a very dear friend of mine, Louisa, um, who a few years ago um, upped and moved to South Korea for a few years. And she's just going to be talking to us uh, through her experience there, what she was doing there, how long she was there for. Um, So welcome, Louisa. Yay! Hi, Grace. Thanks for such a nice introduction. Happy to be here. happy for you to be here I'm really looking forward to um talking to you about your experience in South Korea I know we've touched on it in the past but it'll be great for us to go deeper definitely let's go deep babe let's go deep I'm ready let's go deep let's get in there so we before we start um we'll do the we'll do a slice off segment so of course you're Louisa so we'll do a slice of Louisa so share something with us it can be more than one slice don't worry um so yeah over to you Yeah, so um, I'm currently doing various different things, but I actually started a podcast myself back in the summer. So it's called Ordinary Lives Takeaways from a Pandemic. So I've also been interviewing different people about their experiences of the pandemic, which has been a really, really nice experience. Um, It's also, well, first of all, it's got me kind of out meeting people at what's been a bit of a weird time. Um, But also, it's just nice to hear people's stories and everyone's got such a different perspective, you know, whether it's to do with their background or kind of who they are as a person, what they're doing with themselves. It's just been a really nice way to connect with people, to be honest. Yeah. So where can we find the Ordinary Lives podcast? So you can go online and find it at Anchor. So it's www.anchor.fm forward slash Louisa W. Or you can also go on to Instagram, so at Ordinary Lives Podcast. You can find photos there of people who I've interviewed. And there's also a link to Apple Podcasts and also Spotify links. So there's lots Brilliant. of different places you can find it. Thank you. So, yes, if anybody's interested in people's perspective um, or lived experiences with the pandemic, go over to Ordinary Lives on Instagram, Anchor, Spotify, Apple. Is that correct? And, yeah, go and check Louisa's amazing workout. Cheers, Grace. No problem. I'm plugging you. I'm plugging you. (laughs) I'm feeling it. I'm feeling the love. I'm lapping it up, girl. (laughs) Okay, so um, a few years ago, as I mentioned in in the intro, you moved to South Korea. How long ago was this? So I moved there originally in early 2016, and I was there for just shy of a couple of years, um, leaving at the end of 2017. Okay, so you were there for quite some time. So um, why South Korea? Let's start with that. Why did you move there? Why did you, did you explore other options or was it just you were set on going to South Korea? (laughs) Yeah, interesting question. Um, So I think for me, I'd been curious, well, first of all, I'd been curious to put myself in a completely different culture. I'd lived in France before. And I guess traveled around a fair bit, but I was quite keen to put myself in a totally different culture. And I think I would I'd always been attracted to East Asia. Um, So, yeah, I did think about other countries. Um, China didn't necessarily appeal to me. I sort of considered Japan, sort of considered Taiwan. um, But I think that. I don't know something it was kind of a like an instinct thing I didn't really think about it that much I certainly didn't know anything about South Korea really I did have a couple of South Korean friends and I think probably that was partly it as well like knowing a few people over there um but yeah it was kind of 
um, I didn't really overthink it. I just kind of went. Um, and I think a lot of people around me at the time were like, why are you doing that? That's so random. What are you doing? Why would you do that? Um, what yeah. are you thinking? Um, but yeah, it was yeah an amazing experience. Um, so yeah, no regrets. Yeah, that sounds brave. I didn't know you just sort of went um, for it, you know, without knowing much I thought you, you had it all planned out I don't know why am I here yeah, but I, I don't, I don't necessarily out. recommend that approach I'm not gonna lie okay. I mean <laughs> I think it's probably a good idea to actually read a little bit about the country before you go there um I certainly had quite a like an intense learning curve while I was there um I think you have kind of a honeymoon period when you do this kind of thing I think you know for the first yeah. um three or four months I think you kind of have this period where it's like oh everything's new and exciting and it's like oh that's shiny and oh I've not seen anything like that and oh everything's so different and then I think after those first four months I think that's potentially when um a bit of cu- culture shock hits you and you have the, the experience changes and you start to question things question yourself question what you're experiencing um you know obviously it can be hard at the time but definitely I think it's an amazing experience to go through um there's nothing like it and I think you really can learn quite a lot about yourself and about the world that we live in in quite a short space of time when you do these kind of things yeah and what did what did the culture shock look like for you um well I should say that because I feel slightly guilty about the fact that I never learned Korean properly so I think partly obviously there's a language barrier um, so I did learn bits of Korean and I communicate, I tried to always, um, I was very aware that I think a lot of English speakers tend to go to foreign countries and just not really make any effort to speak um, the native language. Um, and I don't really like that. I think it's kind of rude and unnecessary. And I think there's an arrogance to English, native English speakers when they're abroad sometimes. Yeah. Um, so I'm really a fan of learning local languages, but, you know, I didn't do it when I was there. I'd learned, like I say, enough to get by in shops and things. But I think when that's the problem, when you have that kind of language barrier, there's already the cultural barrier. So it's not just um, it's not just that you don't speak the language, but there's also a different way of communicating that you learn when you learn the language. So, yeah, I think I kind of saw bits of those things, um, but it's almost like there's a filter. So you kind of don't you can't fully immerse yourself in the culture completely even though you are learning things like whether it's by experiencing things in the workplace or whether it's by having a conversation with a friend and whether they're Korean or whether they've lived there for five years and hearing about things that are different or things that go on um there were different aspects to it I think it's difficult to narrow it down to one thing um but I think it was quite it felt like quite an intense period for me um yeah so yeah and I think at times I kind of felt like or maybe you were a bit naive to like just think you could just randomly go to <laughs> such a distant country <laughs> but um I think that's part of it to be honest I think that's what you kind of go through and you realize oh yeah there are people out there who live very differently to how we live and I think that's super healthy and I think it's really important um and I think coming from the UK I don't know if this is a controversial opinion but I think sometimes we're not too open to other cultures in some ways um and so I think it's you know I think we can learn from different cultures and different places and I think that's really important yeah yeah I completely agree um before we go any further where in South Korea were you because we don't want people to think you were just you know all over the place in South Korea so where were you all the cities of South Korea (laughs) (laughs) check me out um (laughs) No, so the first year I was in a town called Ansong, which is in Gyeonggi province. Um, so it's about an hour 
um, south of Seoul, um, I want okay. to say south, southwest, um, about an hour from Seoul. And so I was placed in a school under a state school program, which happened to have this particular English centre. Um, so I was told whilst I was there that because um, it was kind of in the countryside, so they had special government funding for this particular project to create an English school um, for the kids who couldn't necessarily afford to go to um, cram schools, which are kind of the extra school after school sort of thing in Korea yeah um, which are quite common in Eastern culture so that was quite a unique experience but then my second year I wanted to move closer to Seoul um, so I was in a city called Songnam just right on the edge of Seoul um, on the edge of the subway network um, so that obviously I mean to be honest with you the first year I was pretty much spending most weekends in Seoul anyway so yeah. Um, but then obviously being that bit closer, it just allowed me to jump on the subway and go to different places. I mean, Seoul geographically is huge. Um, yeah. So, yeah, obviously it's not the same as being in London or other cities. But, um, yeah, it was nice to be kind of on the edge of the subway network. So I could just, like I say, jump on the subway and go and explore different parts of the city. Yeah. So you were um, teaching, I'm assuming, because you said you were in the school. Yeah, I was um, teaching, yeah. I don't know why I'm saying I'm assuming. I know you were teaching. So, <laughs> um, so you were teaching. So talk talk us through that whole experience, you know, the teaching in South Korea and, you know, any differences between the Korean education system and, you know, the education system here in the UK. Wow, where to start? Um, From so, the beginning. <laughs> let's start at the very beginning. Um, yeah, so I've not, taught formally or I'm not taught in um, mainstream schools in the UK so I don't you know I don't feel that I'm in a position yeah. to directly compare but um, certainly the education system is quite intense in South Korea um, there's uh, I think you know you would see kind of quotes lying around like study till you die and there's a big emphasis on studying and I got the impression that that kind of extended beyond school as well so um, a lot of adults or at least young Korean adults were kind of still studying English or studying other languages yeah um, even during whilst they were working full-time jobs sort of thing so kind of a bit more of a culture around study and being proud of kind of academic achievement um, and of course like a, a huge value of English and learning English um, you know because I think most jobs or a lot of jobs you needed it for um yeah so like I say they do have this kind of cram school culture or as they call them hagwons which is um after school learning English so kids would do the normal school day and then they'd go to a cram school as well and um, so it's oh, very wow. intense in terms of like the amount of learning the kids have to do and I think obviously coming from a western country I think it definitely did at times feel like too much and feel like you know these kids you know do they necessarily need to be doing this much um but you know I think obviously you're kind of in a position where you're employed to teach English um, and I think as a nation they do actually value teachers a lot more than we do in terms of as I, I think about I think a few years ago Obama actually compared the American and the um, South Korean education systems from the point of view of the fact that value uh, teachers are a lot more valued in terms of um, they're paid more um, and I think as a result, society values them a lot more, um, yeah. have higher status and they're just respected a lot more than they might be in the US. And I think, to be honest, the UK is comparable with the US. Um, so, yeah, and I think I felt that. So a couple of colleagues mentioned to me that, yeah, that has been the case historically in South Korea, but actually there's a decline in the respect for teachers um, in recent years. Um, oh, wow. And it's not necessarily quite where it was, but I still think comparably 
teachers are generally a lot more respected, but they have like huge responsibilities. And um, so I think one, um, they call it a homeroom teacher. So that's a kind of tutor teacher who's responsible for a particular class, um, had an extra phone just to kind of um, speak to parents parents that were calling up about kind of the problems or worries with the kids um so that kind of pressure and another teacher also said to me oh um education in South Korea is almost like customer service um you know you have to kind of please the parents as well um and I don't know if you've heard of kind of Asian tiger tiger mums um so yeah Asian mums have this reputation of being quite kind of um fiercely protective of their kids and fiercely fighting for their education which is by no means you know a bad thing it's a it's a great thing it's a thing to be respected um but I guess yeah again I think coming from a western point of view I think uh, my feeling was that maybe there need there could be a bit of a balance um and I certainly think there's a lot of things that they're good at and I really appreciate the fact that they value education so highly um in South Korea um but and you know I think there's definitely a lot that we could learn um from the systems and I think in terms of like the actual content of the education I think they do kind of emphasize a lot repetition and learning those basics, learning the grammar systems and grammar structures, repetition, repetition, repetition. And actually, to be honest with you, like I, you know, learned French in school and I tend to think that's how I learned well by kind of repeating things. I happen to have a French teacher who was very good at that. And I think it's really to be valued. Um, But again, it's, I guess, having that balance and, you know, not necessarily having so much pressure on the kids, but having those systems in place, but, you know, having, uh, again, a little bit less pressure. Yeah. What What was a day in the life of an English teacher like? <laughs> uh, so... How did you lesson to, plan and all that? Yeah, it's hard for me to remember exactly. Um, so the two jobs were quite different. One I was a bit more isolated in, because um, it was just me in a particular classroom. And then the other one... Um, I was in the English centre with a couple of other teachers, one who was my supervisor and one who was another. He was British, actually, um, but ethnically Chinese and his family was from Hong Kong. Um, So I was with those two guys in that first job. But then in my second one, because I initially a bit more isolated. um, But yeah, um, the first job, it was much more, a lot more freedom to be creative and create your own lesson plans, which obviously had its advantages and disadvantages. There were less structures in place, which made it obviously quite challenging in terms of the workload. But the second school, it was all much more like a fixed curriculum, um, which made it easier in some ways in terms of like, yeah, obviously I would put effort into planning lessons, but it was a lot more there and ready for me. so yeah, quite different situations really. Um, some of it also was write, writing um, student reports um, for parents um, and for other teachers as well. Um, some of it was writing formal lesson plans as well. Um, so the first school I was doing lessons within the mainstream school and then also doing after school classes as well. And sometimes I also had weekend classes, they would call them like family classes. So I would be teaching um, some mothers with their kids, which was they didn't last beyond the first semester, I don't think. But that was quite nice, you know, getting a chance to interact a bit with the parents as well. Before moving to um, Korea, probably should have asked this at the beginning, but hey ho, um, what what paperwork is involved before moving? And how did you said how did you end up um, the program for English teachers? Is, Is there is it a specific program that recruits, you know, teachers from or people from English-speaking countries to come over you mentioned the government tell us more about that 
Yeah, so there was quite a lot of paperwork involved um, in the first instance. And I remember kind of rushing around to get things together. And I think you had to get things stamped and verified. Um, I think there was some kind of FCO um, stamp required for certain things. And then I had to get things. um, I don't really have the vocabulary, I think. Yeah, some things getting signed off. um, Yeah by lawyers and things I don't really remember exactly but there was definitely I think I need oh certification that's it like a certified copy of a particular certificate so like a certified copy of my degree certificate or certified copy of my birth certificate um things like that I'm not sure if that's exactly the correct <laughs> documentation so don't quote me yeah. on it but there were definitely a few things that I had to get in place um and yeah I was originally I went through a particular recruiter who a Korean friend had recommended to me um and the system at the time was called GEPIC, and I think there's also one called EPIC, which is, I think, all kind of administered through the Korean government. Yeah. Um, I don't know what the acronym stands for, but the difference between GEPIC and EPIC, I think, is that the G stands for Gyeonggi, which is the province that I was originally working in. Um, so, yeah, um, I think I had maybe a couple of interviews initially to get that position. Um but yeah, definitely there was kind of a lot of paperwork to put together. And I think once you're in the country, you have to go through like health tests and things. Um, so, yeah, it was there was quite a lot kind of went into it initially. Um, but, you know, I, I, I wouldn't take anything back. It was definitely something that I feel is really worth doing. Yeah. Yeah. So outside of, you know, the paperwork, outside of work, what was life like for you initially, you know, settling in, meeting new people? How did you build relationships? How did you make friends? Um, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I guess, again, it's that kind of, it can be quite hard. I think you're obviously initially thrown into, you often have like a inter, few international connections. And I know that the building that I was living with, living in, um, there were a few other English teachers living there. And which was nice. But to be honest with you, I was also quite keen to meet Koreans and quite keen to mix with like local people. Um, So, yeah, I think I just ended up I think I met quite a few people through friends. Um, I think language exchanges as well. I did try um, kind of international parties that were advertised. So Hongdae is a big kind of um, party area where sometimes they had these international parties that you would see advertised on meetup and places like that yeah in terms of I mean I did kind of activities as well like yoga but it's not really I mean obviously it was mostly Koreans that would go and again with the language barrier it's not like I was making friends there although to be fair like yoga classes in this country I wouldn't really make friends out necessarily it's not the kind <laughs> of place you go to like have a chat and be like oh yeah what are you doing at the weekend um so yeah I think like meetups and international parties and gatherings and stuff like that were really one of the key places that I met people um yeah but one of my closest friends like I say I met her through um, a mutual friend so sometimes it's like yeah other people connect you to different people um and yeah we would just yeah we would just go for coffee or we'd um go day drinking or <laughs> there's another there's yeah. kind of like a big foreign area called Itaewon um, and I think it's because um, the U.S. Army base is there. So that's why kind of a lot of foreigners sort of hang out there. So that was one area that I'd go to occasionally. But it wasn't necessarily my favourite area, to be honest. Um, like I, said, I think I was quite keen to get to know 
Korean culture. Another way I met um, a good friend of mine, actually, I met him through a conversation exchange app. Um, mm. So I think I was a bit wary how I used those because I think you do have to be careful to a certain extent because you meet people online and you don't know who they are or who you're meeting and you have to obviously take precautions and make sure people know where you're going and obviously be a bit wary with it. Um, but he's turned out to be quite a good friend of mine and we're very much in touch as well. So yeah, there's different ways of meeting people, I think. Yeah. That's amazing. You mentioned um the building you were staying in, there were quite a few other English teachers in there. So yeah. does the accommodation come through the program or did you have to sort that all out on your own? Yeah, so they actually the schools provide the accommodation. So oh, I was nice. also able to I mean, I was able to save you know, quite a bit financially from that point of view. Um, not like luck to the sound of luxury living, but the cost of living there in general is was quite cheap as well. So, um, yeah, that was quite a big advantage for me at the time. Outside of, you know, meeting new people, making new friends, um, what was it like? Uh, you were there for a year and a half. So I'm assuming there was, you know, some dating involved. Um, what was it like um, dating in... I guess a foreign country where you're, you know, you're you're living there, but you're not, you're not sure if you're staying there forever. What was that sort of experience like meeting people? Yeah, I, I mean, I, it definitely is a very different culture, and I think a lot of, you know, I didn't have a wide variety of experiences, so I don't feel like I'm in a position to give like, you know, a really like thorough explanation of the dating culture in South Korea. But my impression is that it's a lot more. Um, closed so a lot of people mentioned to me about how often you will meet people through friends through mutual acquaintances you'll get introduced to people um and in terms of um couples I was told and my impression was that it's a lot less common for young couples to actually live together um so they might be doing it but they wouldn't necessarily talk about it openly and there's a kind of secretive side to the culture in that sense um love motels are a lot more a thing so if if couples want to go be together then they might go to a love motel again I just want to emphasize the fact that obviously this is based on my own experience and everyone's experience will be different um you know, so if I'm saying anything, like a Korean person might listen to this and be like, yeah, that's not really true. Um, but these are <laughs> like observations. Yeah, these are like observations that like I've made. And then also through people having said things to me about, you know, yeah, not necessarily there being that same openness that there is in Western culture with dating. Um, and also like it's as a society, it's generally a lot more patriarchal. Um, okay. so, so Confucian values of um are considered really important in Korea and that's about hierarchy and top-down power structures and also yeah like um in general um it's a bit more patriarchal um so Mm. yeah those are kind of differences you see and there are definitely you know cultural differences differences between like men and women and the roles of men and women they've also got a very Mm. kind of um romantic culture in a way um so there's a a comparison often made between um Italy and Korea some people say that um Korea is the the Italy of Asia um and I think the same comparison is made with the UK and um or England and Japan so um I think partly it's because obviously Japan and England are like island cultures and there's this like politeness culture but then with Korea um I think the kind of passion and the couple culture um and also the strong family culture 
um, yeah. quite traditional values. I think there's definitely echoes there. I can see why people make that comparison. Um, and yeah, I think um, kind of a real passion. I think Koreans are very passionate people. Um, people have this image of Asians as being like reticent or like shy, but for me, Koreans like super passionate people. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and obviously you have different experiences and you see different things. And obviously someone in the workplace is going to be acting differently from someone that you meet out on the street. Um, but yeah, and they definitely have this very kind of, you know, romantic culture. And sometimes I found it a bit too much, like seeing couples in matching clothing and things like for me, that's not, you know, that's not my jam <laughs> at all. Um, yes, but, they have. Is it couples day? Yeah, they have different days. Yeah. So there's a um, a white day as well. I think they have different like <laughs> white day. They have different um like names for special days and I think there's days oh, when wow. um I can't remember exactly, but a day when for example the boyfriend is supposed to um also very heteronormative. Yeah. Um so a day for example when a go- a boyfriend is supposed to give a present to his girlfriend or and then a special day for the girl when it's the girl's turn to give a present to her boyfriend. Um oh, wow. Yeah, so a lot of like kind of things like that. Um, so there's more than one Valentine's Day. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think there's a day as well. I can't remember the name of it, but there's these special, um, special kind of sweet treats that are like long sticks. Um, I think the brand, I think you can get them here, like called Pocky or something, but I can't remember the name of them. But there's a special day where you're supposed to buy your loved one this particular sweet treat, and it's literally just for that day. Uh, so I guess it's good marketing by that particular company. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds, it sounds like being single would, would be um quite lonely and sad. <laughs> yeah, because you'd just be watching, you know, people giving each other gifts every other day. <laughs> or, yeah, like, yeah. I don't. Obviously, I don't want to say that that's like widespread because I'm not saying that there aren't people yeah. enjoying the single yeah. life and stuff as well. And you know, like obviously, there's Hongdae, like I said, that's a much more like party environment. Um. And equally, I met women, you know, who seemed quite happy being single and enjoying their lives and things like that. Um, but yeah, there, there are those kind of aspects to it as well. All these different days to express to express your love. Maybe we should yeah. adopt that over here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think yeah, maybe we, we could do a bit better on that front. But yeah, we just have to... one day. We just have Valentine's Day. We need more. We need more. <laughs> we need more. Let's protest about it. <laughs> yeah. So you did up to a year and a half. Was it two years? A year and a half. Um, it was just short of two years. It was twenty months. Just short, short of two years. What What was behind your decision to leave? Did you Did you go? Well, firstly, did you go to South Korea with the intention to stay, or was it just a short term thing? And what were you planning to stay longer than the you know just under two years you did, or did you just get to a point where you were you were homesick and you just needed to come back home? So, and I've asked you like four different questions there. Sorry. <laughs> I'll try and cover as much <laughs> as I can, Grace. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think it was it was probably always going to be short term. Okay, I say that you never know what's going to happen in life, you know. But I think it was always meant to be probably two to three years. Um, when I got to the end of, so I don't know, maybe some people might be more aware of this, but the work, work culture in South Korea is quite intense. Um, so in terms of like annual leave, you don't get a lot. Um, okay. It's quite How a pressure culture. Get? So in my first job, and okay, so this isn't including um, national holidays because you do get national holidays in addition. But my first contract, I had 10 days annual leave. 
Um, wow. But my second contract, I only had five days. Um, and some of my Korean colleagues actually had less. Um, and, you know, I remember particularly in my second second year, there was one teacher who got quite sick. Um, so we ended up covering for her quite a lot. And then um, I think she eventually just um, quit the job because um, she was obviously not well. Um, but it's, yeah, it's quite like a pressured work culture. Um, I think in that sense, it's probably quite similar to what I've heard about Japan. Um, and for me, by the time I got to the end of it, I was just exhausted. Um, and I think I'd kind of had enough of that side of things. Yeah. Um, I did travel around, so I did have enough. I managed to travel quite a bit. Um, my first year I went to Hong Kong during, um, because the English Centre was closed for a week, I think, in July. So I managed to go to Hong Kong to visit some friends there. Yeah. Um, and I did manage to visit a couple of places in Korea, um, Busan, which is a city down down by the coast. Um, I went there a couple of times. And I did a trip as well when our mutual friend, Eri, came to visit. Um, we went yeah. to a place called Jonji. Hi, Eri. Hi, Eri. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I did manage to kind of travel around a bit, um, and you know um my boyfriend at the time as well he was really good and he kind of took me to quite a few places and so I saw quite a few different parts of the country that way as well um but I think yeah for me at the end I was kind of that was enough um and I was finding it quite hard and I think like you know I'm not saying that I would like never say never I would consider going back potentially but I think it would have to be in a way that gave me a lot more flexibility so in terms yeah. of like whether it's having more more time more freedom to take days off or you know kind of I would like to feel that I would have more the freedom as well to kind of visit back home or go to other places as well more more time to do those kind of things and come and see friends and family here as well you know that's really important I think so I wouldn't necessarily describe it as homesickness but I guess obviously there was an element of that because you are in such a different culture um, yeah. and your diet completely changes as well. Cause you know, it's not easy to get hold of food that you would normally eat. And, you know, I'm quite into food anyway, and I've always kind of cooked for myself and things. Um, obviously since leaving home, you know, mum's mum's cooked for me when I was a little one. Uh, <laughs> thanks mum. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, like I, think that side of things you don't realize how many changes you're going through as well um and there's things that I really really do miss and like even now you know I'm really grateful for having kind of um Korean friends and even Korean students now because I'm doing a bit of tutoring but um and you know I I go often for Korean well I say often not as much now but you know I have gone for Korean food quite a lot um and I you know I'm I love kimchi and I love a lot of kind of those Korean dishes so there's definitely a lot that I miss and really glad to have had that experience and to still be able to enjoy those things and have that memory with it as well and that association of like those times that I'd had in that country because it is really special and really unique so I'm really grateful for that. So it's that you haven't written off South Korea there's still a possibility that you could yeah I mean I think obviously things at the moment are so different anyway yes uh, because of the virus so no one really knows what's going to happen and I think we might be looking at travel in very different ways anyway and then obviously with yeah. Brexit as well um but no I haven't written it off completely but it's also like now I think I think I've got much more a sense of like 
community and close community around you geographically close is quite important because I've I mean I, I think I've moved around quite a lot anyway um, which is great and you have amazing experience and like the same as what you're saying you know some of my best friends you included are people who I've met traveling or being abroad yeah. and in these situations and I really am hugely grateful for that but at the same yeah. time you know I think it is difficult and you do want as well like a close community around where you live yeah of course. um so it's kind of having that balance and it's not something that you know I yeah I, I would definitely love to go you know even to just visit Korea again definitely there's friends there who I want to see and there's things that I'd like to do again so definitely I would I hope that I have the opportunity to visit you know at least once again um but in terms of living yeah it's a different thing so it's not yeah I wouldn't rule it out but I think I'm not sure that I would want to do it for like an extended period I think it would be more like a shorter period if I did do it but yeah, yeah never say never well thank you so much Louise I've really enjoyed um listening to your experiences of your time in South Korea and um I hope you've enjoyed being on uh the Slices podcast with me <laughs> yeah, it's great. So I really appreciate you asking me. It was fun. It was nice. Brilliant. Well, thank you to all that were listening. If you have any um, questions um, about um, Louise's time in Korea, um, once the podcast is up, you can um, ask questions um, on the Slices of Grace um, Instagram page, which is slices underscore of underscore grace on Instagram. And I, um, Louisa, will. I can tag her in and she can answer your questions for you. <laughs> but um, yes, and also make make sure to check out the Ordinary Lives podcast, um, Instagram, Anchor FM, Spotify and Apple to hear about um, other people's experiences um, with um, Louisa about um, dealing with the pandemic. So thank you so much, everyone. And thank you once again, Louisa. Bye-bye. Thanks, Grace. Bye.